Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Good Friday to you. Welcome in to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. Follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. College football is back. It's back in a big way. There wasn't anything too major going on last night. I might have a little bit of something to say about Purdue before the end of the show. We'll have Murphy Fair on, by the way, in about a half hour. Get you set for high school. Region action begins tonight. Of course, not only did we'll get you started, and then Chad Withrow and the crew will take you home over the next four hours tonight. So stick with us all throughout the evening as we cover high school football better than anybody in the Music City. I haven't done a list of six in a while. I thought I'd do a list of six tonight. I tell you, I don't want to waste your time. I'm not going to waste your time. This is the 31st episode of the Big Six, and I'm not sure that's true. I need to actually go back and figure it out. It's somewhere in the 31 to 32, 33 range. I doubled up and said 29 twice in a row. This is what happens when you don't make notes of numbers that you're saying on the air. I was told there'd be no math, but then I brought math into the discussion and got it entirely wrong. But we are going to do a list of six tonight. The list of six tonight, the six storylines... I am most interested to see across the college football landscape in 2018. So let's kick it off. Number one. Number one. How does Tua versus Jalen end up? Now, we think Tua is going to start. Yes. We feel like we've known it ever since the national championship game and after what he was able to do to uh, do against Georgia. But Nick Saban has been relentlessly pushing that a decision has not been made. That would be entirely true, except for the fact that it's entirely false. He knows. His team probably knows as well. And we recognize his wife knows because only in Columbus, Ohio, do spouses not ever talk about anything relevant. Lane Kiffin said to us on Fox Sports Radio three or four months ago, that Saban would play both guys, particularly early in the season and definitely in the opener, to keep anybody from transferring because he wants both available for the Tide this year. Let's not forget also that it's not exactly unprecedented in college football to use two quarterbacks when the skill sets are this different. Alabama has had its own share of quarterback conundrums in the past. We've seen Coker and we've seen Sims. At one point, there were five different guys listed on the depth chart, I think back in 2012, under Saban. What we know is Jalen Hurts is the premier athlete of the two, but Tua is the premier quarterback 
of the two. And that's really the key here. Do you consider using Jalen Hurts in running situations and using him in spots where you'd like to confuse the defense or maybe make him think a little bit harder and always used Tuatago Vailoa in passing downs? Well, one thing I want to point out to you is there's a very intriguing statistic about these two guys, and that is that from the pocket, there's not much difference in completion passing percentages. It's a much smaller sample size for Tua. I do think he's the more accurate of the two, but Hertz can absolutely get the job done when he has time to do it. Now, when he's chased or pressured, that is when the variance seems to present itself much more. He's not as skilled a passer. That's something we know. But just past Alabama, even, how about the quarterback situations at Clemson? Kelly Bryant's going to get the start against Furman tomorrow, but the scuttlebutt is that true freshman Trevor Lawrence is a stud. And Clemson coaches said... Bryant was brought to a new level because of how good Lawrence was in spring and in camp. And as such, Kelly Bryant's proven to be the clear front runner because he's brought his game to a different level. But it's going to be worth watching this if Kelly Bryant doesn't light it up early in the year. And then questions might be asked. And then in UCLA for Chip Kelly, Wilson Spate is going to be the starter. Last time you saw Wilson Spate, he was not doing much of note at Michigan. That guy is starting for Chip Kelly and the Bruins. You keep your eye on that. There are a few other spots in the country where we could see multiple guys or changes midstream. Quarterback in college is a little bit different than in the NFL in terms of tenure. And we've seen national titles won in recent years by great college quarterbacks, athletes that weren't at all perfect mechanical quarterback throwers. So I think Tua versus Hurts is the one to watch initially. But I think that just quarterbacks as a whole in some of these situations where it's not cut and dry for the entire season and decisions were made awfully late is going to be something fascinating to watch here in 2018. Number two. Number two is new coaches in major positions. I am not talking really about Jeremy Pruitt here, or maybe I should say I'm not just talking about Jeremy Pruitt here. Certainly all our eyes are going to be fixed upon Bank of America Stadium tomorrow. The Vols play West Virginia. By the way, Tennessee tailgate show right here on 104.5 The Zone at noon. I am blessed to have been asked to host that show this season alongside VFL. Joey Kent can't wait to be here tomorrow to preview that game and to preview college football with Joey. It's an intriguing matchup that on paper it seems tailor-made for a Mountaineer blowout, but... This is a high-octane, rhythm-based offense from Dana Holgerson's team. What that really means is that if you catch them early, it might keep the final score and maybe the game in general much closer than we might see if this were Thanksgiving or after. West Virginia is definitely the more talented team. There's no question. Will Greer and Mr. Sills and that crew are totally legit. But if it takes them a half or three quarters to put it together, it could get interesting or more interesting than it would be otherwise. But past just Tennessee, you got Chip Kelly at UCLA and whether or not he's going to be everything he was at Oregon. I've said a couple of times I think he's a little bit overrated, but by that I really just mean he's not going to go undefeated every season. He is really good. Willie Taggart at Florida State is something I paid close attention to and predicted weeks before it happened because it felt totally obvious it would once it was clear Jimbo was headed elsewhere. Willie loves the state of Florida. He met his wife there. It's the place he calls home. And more so than anything, he can recruit like nobody's business in Florida. Folks, he lured some fantastic talent, talent he had no business getting, out of the state of Florida to come to Bowling Green, Kentucky, to play for WKU. 
Now, all he's got to do is lure them to one of the most storied, traditional football powers of all time. So I'm expecting big things from him and not much, really, if any real drop-off from Jimbo Fisher. I don't know that Taggart's going to win a national championship. I don't know that he's that good a football coach, but he's going to have the talent there. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And while we're talking about Jimbo Fisher, A&M's going to be fascinating to watch. None of the first-year performances, whether it's Fisher, whether it's Kelly, whether it's Taggart or Pruitt or any of these guys, they can't really be fair litmus tests or referendums on anything. It takes three to five years for it to really be your team. And so Jimbo's really going to be doing what he can this year with Kevin Sumlin's football team. They looked good last night, but that was uh, Northwestern State. I believe Jimbo, as a coach, is about a nine, maybe ten win coach, if I was just saying what he is for his career. In the SEC alone, though, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, A&M, who we've talked about already, Arkansas with Chad Morris, Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt, Florida with Dan Mullen, all of these are new coaches. And I will tell you that LSU will be looking for a new one within 12 months, and you can take that to the bank. Let's get one more in, and then we'll do the back three on the other side. It's actually secret option number three. How will Ohio State play on the field? So Urban Meyer releases another statement today, this one chastising the media and basically clarifying the clarification of the clarification of the original lie from Big Ten Media Day. He backed a bit. He seemed to try and take portions of his apology back. Yesterday, if you didn't know, an Ohio State trustee resigned from the school and his position because he believed the suspension wasn't enough of a punishment for Urban Meyer, which pretty much means he wanted him fired. Unfortunately for that guy, that move just means the guy lost his job and left it. It doesn't mean anything to Urban Meyer or any other Buckeye fan. They'll just call him a loser and move on. But lost in all of this story is how Ohio State's football team is going to respond. And I don't mean to Ryan Day. We know he can get the job done until Urban rips the headset away from him and sends him back to the shallow end. But just overall, how this team's going to be this season. They've got a chance to win it all. They definitely have the talent to win the national championship this year. But these distractions, these distractions are not going away. Nor are the questions that are going to be asked. Media availability, expect to be somewhat limited. But you've got to think, every opposing fan base is going to be brutal on Urban Meyer and on his kids, and deservedly so. Not on his kids, but on him. But nobody wearing a uniform is responsible for any of this. And they're the ones that are going to be the most hated team in the country, probably surpassing Alabama, I would say, because of the scandal and the way Ohio State handled it. Nobody wearing a uniform is responsible for it. The guy that's responsible for it is the one that's going to be in the windbreaker, frowning all the time. No one is going to want to see Ohio State win this year. Is that going to become a rallying cry for the Buckeyes? Or are they going to drop a game that they simply shouldn't along the way? Everybody is going to be rooting against them except their own fan base. I think that they're not a popular team if you're not a fan of them. And I know that that sounds ridiculous. But there are national programs that you know generate a little bit of positivity. I don't think a lot of people hate Clemson, for example, I don't know that a lot of people hated USC during that run. Ohio State is definitely one that can rub people the wrong way already. 
But now I think it's going to be rooting against Ohio State for a far different reason. And all the people that didn't care that much one way or the other and don't care if they win or lose just because they have no rooting interest are all of a sudden going to have a real rooting interest in Ohio State losing games. And Ohio State could run the table. They are good enough to do just that. But every week, a lot of people are going to be looking for that L. So how are they going to play? I think it's a fascinating question that we're going to have to watch and keep tabs on all season long beginning tomorrow. And then when Urban comes back, assuming he does come back, assuming he's not going to release two more statements, one of which where he admits to an overt crime, not paying attention, and then has to clarify that and eventually actually does get fired. We'll see. We'll see how they look in the first three weeks, and then we'll see how they look once he comes back, even though he'll be with them in everything but the games after we get through this first week. So there's the first three of tonight's list of six. Ohio State, how they're going to play. New coaches across the country in major jobs and how that's going to work out. And some of these quarterback controversies across the country, starting certainly in Tuscaloosa with Tua versus Jalen Hurts. And whether or not we're going to take this thing back to the 60s where Georgia had multiple quarterbacks getting equal time because one was a great runner and one was a great passer. I think we have a pretty good passer to good passer in Tua, a subpar passer in Jalen Hurts, and an extraordinary athlete in Jalen Hurts, and a pretty average athlete in Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Maybe the reason why Saban has been so mum is because not only does he want them both to stay and not see one of them transfer and go elsewhere, he needs them both to stay because he's actually planning to play both of them. It's going to be fascinating. We'll find out how it starts as they open up against Louisville tomorrow night. Four, five, and six on the list of six still to come. What are you waiting for, and what are you paying attention to in college football? You can join us at 615-737-1045. Also, Murphy Fair will be with us later on in the show as we'll talk some high school football. Stick around. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Friday, college football is back. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Hosting Tennessee Tailgate Show this season. We'll begin at noon tomorrow. Blessed to have that opportunity. Get you all set for Vols pregame each week alongside VFL Joey Kent. Our guest tomorrow on the first show, Peerless Price. That's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll get you set for the West Virginia game down in Charlotte just because I saw it during the break and it made me think of something. And then we'll get back to the list of six. I'm giving you the six things that I believe are the storylines to watch across the college football landscape this season. Urban Meyer started his statement, which he released on Twitter today by saying, while I stand by my apologies to Courtney Smith, her children and everyone else. And I'm going to go ahead and stop that because while he basically says, while I stand by my apologies to Courtney Smith, her children and everyone else, uh, I am not going to stand by my apologies to Courtney Smith, her children, and everyone else. He basically did the equivalent in this statement of the no disrespect, which, of course, if anyone ever says no disrespect, immediately in the next sentence, someone is about to get summarily disrespected. Urban Meyer saying, while I stand by my apologies, but, 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 however, however, however. So good job. Can somebody please tell this guy to stop talking? Like at this point, who is advising Urban Meyer to talk? 
The statement last week was bad enough. Now he's coming out and he is trying to clarify what he clarified because he doesn't like what the media is saying. Just come out and tweet, could you just let me coach football? I really want to coach football. Because that's really all he wants to do. But he cannot get out of his own way. This thing gets worse and worse for him because he can't shut up. I said it the last time I was on air. I will say it. Maybe I should just start out every show with this sentence. Social media is not mandatory. We don't need to know everything that you're thinking. In Urban Meyer's case, we don't want to know everything that you're thinking, quite frankly. You'll be back on the sidelines soon enough because Ohio State has no spine. You should have been fired, but you were not. And now you can't shut up. And every time you say it, you make it worse for yourself and make Ohio State's job even harder to try and overcome this. And they were number three in my list of six tonight. How is Ohio State going to play on the field, especially now that they are America's enemy number one? You might not have liked them before. Is anybody rooting for Ohio State that doesn't earn that doesn't own Buckeye memorabilia right now? Anybody that didn't care was sort of ambivalent or neutral towards Ohio State. Anybody cheering for the Buckeyes this year? And what does that have to do with the kids on the sidelines? Absolutely nothing. But their coach is a dirtbag. And the guy that they fired is a bigger, bigger, bigger dirtbag. But Urban, just shut up. Back to the list of six. Victim number four. Who is this year's Central Florida? There are two ways that you can look at this question. The first one is it's the school that nobody talks about that goes undefeated only to be left out of the four-team college football playoff in favor of a higher note power five school. Now, we've seen Boise State, and we've seen Utah, and we've seen TCU, and most recently we've seen Central Florida suffer this fate. They are inhibited and handicapped because they can only play their schedule. They can only play also who is willing to play them. And once the bigger schools realize how good they are, all of a sudden they don't want to schedule them the way that they used to. Nobody wants to play Central Florida anymore. I remember at Western Kentucky, boy, Kentucky wanted to play them every year right up until Taggart beat them in Lexington and then Petrino showed up, and then the Wildcats didn't really want any part of that anymore. And then that's a win that you don't get because it's a win that matters to a WKU, and you don't have a chance to play that. Now, I continue to believe had Auburn been playing UCF in a game that actually mattered instead of an exhibition bowl game, which is what it was, that UCF wouldn't have won. But maybe I suffer a little bit of Power 5 bias. I think we all do. Now, let's say Lane Kiffin goes in and beats Oklahoma this weekend. And that game tomorrow kicks off at 11. Boy, what a great way to start the Saturday. Lane Kiffin and FAU and that offense against Oklahoma. Let's say that FAU offense still has not been figured out. The one where he went and he did a hybrid between Chip Kelly and a couple of others and his own to create this just incredible offense. If If somebody has not figured out that offense, could it be them? This is this year's Central Florida. How about Memphis? Maybe San Diego State. If they can beat Boise and Fresno, two teams that have been problems for them, but San Diego State regularly wins double-digit games. Boise gets a chance early in the year to play Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State. What if they beat Oklahoma State? How about South Florida, who's going to be good? And Charlie Strong is proving he's actually a pretty good football coach. And UCF could be this year's UCF. They're still going to be really good even without Scott Frost. Josh Heupel knows what he's doing. 
So that's the first way you can look at the question. The second way is not the way UCF did it last year, but what about a Power 5 big-name school that suffers an early loss? For example, let's say LSU gets Miami this weekend, beats them, and then the Hurricanes, who have a really, really weak schedule, then goes and runs the table, which is absolutely possible. They will not face Clemson unless they meet them in the ACC championship game. How does that shake out? What school is it that you look at this weekend and wonder about the loss they shouldn't have and how much that loss will matter by the time we get to the end of the year? There are many instances of teams that drop one during these first few weeks when weird things happen. Remember Michigan App State. That's maybe the one that always comes to mind first. And then those teams become who everyone thought they would be after the fact. How much are they going to be penalized? This is a question you can ask every year. It's always fascinating. The question is, who is the debate going to be centered around once we get around to deciding this thing in about four months? Next. Number five. How will Georgia handle the pressure? This time around, Kirby Smart is not going to sneak up on anybody, and that includes the national media, and it includes even the mainstream college football fan base. Georgia-ing is not really a thing anymore, at least until it is again. But what Georgia has not really dealt with for an entire season is the weight of expectations, not just to win games, but to be in line for the natty. They are without question the hunted now. They're not going to be silently tiptoeing up behind prey. The recruits, the talent, undeniable, but they've now got a target on their back, both in the East where they should cruise, especially if they can deal with South Carolina in week two. And of course, certainly from Nick Saban, Gus Malzahn, and some in the SEC West. When they were number one in the country last year, we started to see some blemishes. Guys began to look a little skittish, a couple of drops from the receivers. They got a little nervous out there. And then we got to the national championship game after that incredible semifinal victory over Baker Mayfield in the Rose Bowl. We saw a Georgia team in Atlanta that had Bama beat. And they found a way to let the Crimson Tide back in the game. It wasn't that Tua just came in and changed everything. Now, he did help. But there were drives where he made some big mistakes. Remember that. There are two things you have to do to beat in Alabama or beat the New England Patriots or beat the Golden State Warriors or beat whatever the dominant force is in whatever sport you're talking about. Number one, you've got to get the lead. And to get the lead, you generally have to walk into the building thinking you can win. But number two is... Once you get the lead, you have to believe, not fake it. You actually have to believe that you're going to keep that lead. And what I saw last year from Georgia was a Bulldogs team that was absolutely capable of the first, but not really ready for the second. You have got to avoid looking up at that clock, praying for the game to be over. You have to know you're going to win, know you're the better team, and not be concerned that you still have a quarter to finish off Nick Saban. And if you can't do that, you've lost. This year, the pressure is so much greater on Georgia because now it's expected. This recruiting, the 2017 success, that narrow miss in the national championship, everything appears to be going UGA's way. But it is much different to play without pressure and without the world thinking you should go undefeated and win it all than it is the opposite. And to me, that's going to be tremendous, tremendous drama to watch unfold this season. And then there is number six. And you know what? I'm going to make you wait. We've got Murphy Fair 
coming up on the other side. So we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit of high school football. Number six is a doozy. And I've got a lot of stats, and that will lead us into our final stat of the night. So you're going to want to stick around. Five of the list of six done. But I also want to let you know, DTC Sports going to be back at Owl Stadium in Carthage tonight. The region portion of the 2018 season gets underway. The Smith County Owls hosting the Upperman Bees in each team's Region 4-3A opener. Smith County, 1-1 one and one on the season. They dropped a 2012 decision at home to inter-county rival Gordonsville last Friday after beating Macon County in Week 1. The Owls looking to bounce back. Veteran offensive line, senior trio of Austin Williams, Chris Ray, and Greg Bass. Senior running back Tanner Marshall had 180 on the ground in the Owls opener, aided by strong play from that offensive line. Upperman, 2-0, and beat Cookville and DeKalb County, 23-7 and 43-0. They're ranked number seven in the AP Class 3A poll. Senior running back Blake Metzger, the star for the Bees, 204 yards, six scores for him so far this season. The quarterback Donovan McAllister, 237 yards and a pair of touchdowns, 33 points per game for Upperman. Uh, That's the average in their first two outings. DTC Sports is going to have, as they always do, our good friends Tom Duggan, Chris Vance, J.R. Smith, a live, live, live web stream of the game. It starts with pregame festivities in about 15 minutes. Kickoff follows at 7 p.m. To do, to listen to this, to watch it, log on to www.dtc3.tv to catch all that action again. Live, live, live. Tom Duggan, the coach Chris Vance, J.R. Smith, it's football game night each week on DTC Sports, Smith County and Upperman. Smith County hosting them tonight at Owl Stadium in Carthage. That's going to be a good one. Again, that website to check it out, free. www.dtc3.tv. Murphy Fair next. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. High school action. We'll get you set up here. As we bring in our good friend Murphy Fair, Murphy, where are you tonight? Hey, Jason, I'm out at uh, Nashville Christian School, just off of uh, Sawyer Brown Road, out in uh, West Nashville. All right, so why are you there? That's an interesting place for you to be tonight. There's a lot of big region matchups that we'll get into here in just a second. So, what what takes you to Nashville Christian? Well, one of the main reasons is the fact they're playing Fayette Academy, a team from West Tennessee, just outside of Memphis. I don't ever get to see them play. They're too far away to make a drive to Somerville, Tennessee, uh, to watch them play. Their coach is a good friend of mine. He and my wife actually went to the same high school in southern Mississippi about 20 years apart. But nonetheless, uh, a good guy and uh, a guy who's got a team uh, maybe the best team he's had in his seven or eight years at Fayette Academy. It ought to be an interesting matchup. Joe Jeff Brothers, the head coach at Nashville Christian, has had some great senior classes the last couple of years. I talked to him before the ball game. He said they're still trying to figure out who to line up where. Uh, but I think that's a coach speak a little bit on Jeff's part. They'll field a pretty good team. And I look for a pretty good contest here. I think one of these teams uh, has got a, a really good chance to go deep in the Division II single-A playoffs. Uh, along with Davidson Academy. Uh, no doubt. Uh, and definitely some coach speak coming from there. A little gamesmanship. That's that's good stuff. <laughs> so we're finally getting to region action tonight. There are some really, really cool matchups. Murphy, what do you have your eye on? Well, I think it starts in Wilson County where Lebanon and uh, yeah. Julia get together. Uh, you know, before the days of Wilson Central and soon to be another probably 6A high school in a couple of years, uh, it used to be just Lebanon and, and Mount Juliet duking it out for supremacy in that league among the, the larger schools. I certainly don't want to leave Mount Juliet Christian or Friendship Christian or 
uh, Wilson Central out for that matter. But those are the two that are that are competing for the regional title this year. I think it's been about ten years since Lebanon has defeated Mount Juliet. Hasn't been much of a Wilson County Super Bowl, uh, but uh, Lebanon is a team that's rapidly improving. They scored. Uh, opening season wins uh, uh, against Trousdale County and McGavick. Mount Juliet, on the other hand, is, uh, has gone fairly deep in the playoffs the last three or four years and uh, has pretty well got its program established. I think it was 35 to nothing last year, Mount Juliet. But what Chuck Gentry has done in just one year at uh, Lebanon has uh, surprised even some of the best prognosticators. He's, uh, he's done a great job in getting that team into the playoffs at 5-5 five and five last year. Uh, they avenged an opening around, or excuse me, an opening season loss to Trousdale County last year, and equally as thrilling as last year's was. Uh, but nonetheless, a, a very good football team led by Zion Logue, uh, little guy, six six, two eighty five, Georgia bound. Uh, had schools from all over the country looking for this talented defensive end, and obviously he'll play a big role in that ball game. But. Uh, Coach Perry will have uh, has some tricks up his own sleeve and some good size. Uh, ought to be a standing room only clap the crowd. I would be disappointed if it were not. I heard on the zone about 45 minutes ago that I-40 westbound from Lebanon had been blocked and mm. opened up just for one lane of traffic, uh, a fatality in that accident, sorry to say. But nonetheless, that's a route that a lot of people will take to that ball game. So it'll be interesting to see uh, – uh, how many ball game people headed to the ball game are still sitting on I forty waiting to get to Mount Julia? Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Um, they can certainly listen to one hundred four five the zone and keep abreast of everything that's happening in high school tonight. And certainly thoughts and prayers with everyone involved in that fatality. Smyrna and CPA is a very intriguing matchup. But before we talk about the game, let's talk about the big news out of CPA that broke last Friday. I actually broke it on on television courtesy of Brent Doherty, who had, had gotten the scoop, but Kane Patterson, who we know very, very well, who was headed to Ohio State, reopens his recruiting, decommits from Ohio State, says, look, I want to focus on the season. I want to focus on winning a state championship with the Lions. We'll address this again another time. Very intriguing because he was the first one to decommit from Ohio State, and although he didn't point to it in any respect, there's a lot of things swirling around Ohio State that made this national news like this thing was everywhere within 15 or 20 minutes of us announcing it last week. And it's a, it's a classy move, honestly, and a smart move from a good kid and a good family. Well, I was just going to say, I think the family is very, very close. And when he committed to Ohio state, the one thing that he did mention was the fact that they just weren't recruiting him. They were in They were recruiting the entire family and kept mom and dad and, and, and the whole pack, uh, so to speak, uh, in on every uh, every question that needed answering. Uh, but what we've seen in the last couple of weeks or so uh, has has made a lot of people scratch their heads about Ohio State and Urban Meyer, and, and the list goes on and on. Uh, the Patterson kids' father went to Alabama. Right. Uh, I can't I can't help but think that maybe Alabama might be in the running. I understand Clemson is also still very high on his list, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how all of this shakes out. I think some people are listing because of the knee situation uh, in the playoffs last year. Uh, I think a lot of people would like to see him play a few games on this uh, reconditioned knee, if you will, uh, from last fall and uh, and see if he's equally as fast as he was before. And uh, 
hopefully he'll uh, he'll have a good recruiting process. The doors reopened again, so uh, I'm sure the lines of communication within the Patterson family and uh, colleges all across the country will be pretty strong again. Well, before we talk again next Friday, and next Friday, Maryville and Alcoa are going to hook it up, and that's just we'll be talking a lot about that next Friday during this segment. But Los Angeles and Whitehaven. You're going to be there on Thursday. That will have happened before we talk again. What an interesting matchup that is, especially because of the transfer. Well, yeah, the Bodie kid who was uh, a Mr. Football semifinalist, maybe even a winner last year. I didn't have time to check my notes, but a big-time player for Lausanne uh, has transferred to Whitehaven, as has a big-time player from Memphis East. And all of a sudden, uh, Whitehaven, a team that probably didn't need any more additions to be high on the list for 6A prospects this year, uh, really has a boatload of those kids now. And it ought to be interesting. The game was scheduled to be played at Lausanne. Uh, Lausanne won at Whitehaven last year, 14-7. I think that was Whitehaven's only regular season loss. Uh, but there's not a lot of parking at Lausanne. It's in, in the middle of an old established neighborhood there in Memphis. So they've decided to play that game on Thursday. That'll attract enough crowd, if you will. Uh, and, and they're going to play it at Rhodes College, which is kind of downtown Memphis on a Thursday night. So it ought to be really interesting. Uh, uh, Lausanne, the two-time defending Division II AA state champ, and Whitehaven, a team that's always uh, in the mix when you start talking about 6A football at public schools across the state. No doubt. All right, Murphy, we'll talk to you next Friday. Enjoy Nashville Christian tonight. That's a really interesting situation for you there. And Thursday, that's going to be an absolute war. And then we'll preview Maryville and Alcoa and talk a whole lot more next week. High school football is absolutely fantastic, and it did not take long to heat up. That Maryville-Oakland game last week was a thing of beauty. After your five points tonight, I just knew I was going to be number six, but I guess not, huh? Well, maybe you were. I didn't. Maybe maybe I'm saving that for the final segment, Murph. No, I think you're right, though. Coach Gary Rankin at Alcoa always uh, talks about maybe if he beats Maribel once every six or eight years, he thinks he's done his job. But I think this may be one of the best teams he's had in his eight- or ten-year tenure at Alcoa. Uh, but Maribel showed its strength last week, uh, beating uh, Oakland uh, on a late on a late score to win by three. So it'll be interesting. That one will be played at Maribel, so uh, all eyes will be on Blunt County for sure. No doubt. Murph, have a good weekend. Enjoy the holiday. We'll talk to you next week. You too, Jason. Thanks. Thank you. That is Murphy Fair. I already told you about Smith County and Upperman, but we've actually got Tom Duggan on the line. Tom, how are you tonight? Jason, doing great, man. We're here at uh, Carthage tonight, second week in a row, and, uh, you know, Region Football listening to you and Murphy talk about some of the big matchups going on across the state you know these games here week three a lot of region games across the state and uh you know some of these are already going to have playoff implications the one we have tonight upperman and smith county these are two of the teams picked to uh, make the playoffs out of region 4-3a so this is a big game and it could go a long way toward determining who actually wins this region or who may have home field in the first round or so of the playoffs upperman has been one of the best stories in the Upper Cumberland area in football thus far, they are 2-0, and and they have two big wins over larger schools. In fact, they took down 6A Cookville in week one, 23-7. Came back last week, went over to Smithville, and uh, put a shellacking on DeKalb County, 43 to nothing. So they come in red hot under their first-year head coach, Adam Kane. Now, Smith County, they're young, and uh, they went up against a really good Gordonsville team last week. But Gordonsville got the best of them, 20-12, to so they've got to put that 
Inter-County rivalry lost behind them quickly because Upperman's here and they're ready to play. It's going to be a great game. We've got all the action, and uh, we'll be starting here in just a couple of minutes with our live web stream, dtc3.tv. That's dtc3.tv. The web stream is free, provided as courtesy of DTC Communications. And, uh, Jason, there's a lot of great games going on tonight, and uh, one of them is going to be right here in Carthage, and we're looking forward to it. No doubt. We'll be watching dtc3.tv. Tom Duggan, Chris Vance, J.R. Smith, Smith County Upperman. It'll be fun. Always good talking to you. Enjoy the holiday and enjoy the game tonight. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. That is Tom Duggan. Number six on the list of six. It's a doozy. Stick around for it. It's next. Final segment of the Big Six here tonight on 104.5. Does Evan Chad Withrow coming up? Here in about 10 minutes, take you through the high school evening, so stick with us right here. I'm at jmartzone on Twitter. Jason Martin is my name. I'll be hosting the Tennessee Tailgate Show this season with Joey Kent. We start tomorrow at noon, getting you all set for Vols and Mountaineers. Peerless Price will be a part of the show. Going to be a lot of fun this season working with Joey Kent. So I've done the list of six tonight, and I've been giving you the six things that I'm paying attention to most in college football. We've gone through the five. Tua versus Hurts and other quarterback situations throughout the country. Big-time coaches in big-time positions in terms of changes, not just like Pruitt, but the Chip Kellys, the Willie Taggarts of the world as well, Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. How is Ohio State actually going to play football this year with all of the things going around? Who is this year's Central Florida? Who's the team that's going to go undefeated and get left out? Or who is the team that's going to be in the discussion at the end of the season and the one that's going to be debated the most? And number five, how is Georgia going to handle actually being under pressure and expected to win? And I told you number six was a doozy, and it is. Can Jim Harbaugh reverse the recent narrative, at least my recent narrative about him? Recently on this show, I gave you another list of six. It was the six most overrated persons in sports today. Now, John Gruden was at the top of that list, but nipping at his heels was Jim Harbaugh. And it's not that he's a bad coach. It's that he's proven to be anything but elite or worth the hype placed upon him so far. As a college coach, Harbaugh's record is 57-32, and 32, a 640 win percentage. Not bad at all, though I don't know that anybody's going to call that particularly stellar. But let's drill down just on Michigan. He was 29-21 and 21 at Stanford, but you got to factor in a 4-8 and eight and 5-7 and seven started a program that really was never a winner. And since has been really strong under him and David Shaw. And to me, that's where Harbaugh becomes overrated because Shaw has proven it wasn't just Jim Harbaugh. David Shaw in eight years at Stanford, 73-22. and 22. Five times he's won 10 games, four times he's won 11, twice he's won 12. But back to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, 28-11 and 11 at Michigan over three seasons. Now that sounds pretty great on its face, although it means they have not made the college football playoff at any point. He won 10 games his first two seasons in Ann Arbor. First year, impressive wins, I guess you could say at Penn State, and over Florida, if you consider those two schools in 2015 big wins, and you may not. Second year, only really impressive wins were a 14-7 win at home over Wisconsin and a nine-point victory over unranked Michigan State and then a close loss to Ohio State, a game that I think we many of us think was stolen from Michigan. Third year, impressive wins. Well, they beat then 17th-ranked Florida in the opener, 33-17. Michigan was ranked 11th at the time. By October 28th, they were unranked. 
I'd say that Florida win was the only thing impressive in any way last year. It was an 8-5 and five year, and that wasn't very impressive. So this is year four. Harbaugh is also 2-3 and three career in bowls, including a loss to South Carolina last year by seven. 28-11 and 11 at Michigan's not bad, but is that good enough at Michigan? Really, it shouldn't be, not the way they feel about football. It's a really good school. It can be a little harder to recruit there. It's harder to get people in there, but he coached at Stanford, where it was even harder. Harbaugh hype, to me, is at put-up-or-shut-up time. Tomorrow's game against Notre Dame is massive for both him and the other side of this question, and that's Brian Kelly, another dude with a lot of hype that's found a way to just kind of coast. He's done well, but has he done a tremendous amount? He's 69-34 and 34 in South Bend. He was 34-6 and six at Cincinnati. Irish won 10 last year. They did the same in 2015. Notre Dame's still another fan base that believes they're the cream of the crop or that somebody should have to pay for it. I'd say that both their seats are warm. But I'd say that both... I'd say that I, I, Kelly's is probably a little warmer than Harbaugh's. But both could cook a 12-piece nugget dinner for you if you play some frozen chicken on it. This game is huge. Especially for Harbaugh. If they lose, Michigan might be on its way to another three or four loss season. They've got more talent this year. They're a relative favorite in Vegas. That is a bet, by the way, I would not take. My prediction? Jim Harbaugh tries his hand back in the NFL within two years, and his brother John might end up in college trying his hand there. Both are going to be changing jobs before we reach the 20s. All right, before we send you out for the weekend, let's go ahead and make you smarter. Central Florida has won 14 games in a row. That's the longest current stretch in either FBS or FCS. NCANT second with 12. Florida Atlantic's 110. Longest losing streak, Virginia Military, 17. UTEP in FBS at 12. You know what the longest streak ever is? That belongs to Oklahoma. Between 53 and 57, Boomer Sooner won 47 games in a row. That ain't never going to be broken, folks. we got Chad Withrow up next. High school football coverage here on The Zone. I'm with Joey Kent tomorrow all season long on the tailgate show. We're on at noon tomorrow to get you set for Vols Volunteers. I'll also be hosting the Midday 180 on Monday from 10 to 2 as the fellows take a well-deserved day off. See you then. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless. Saying goodnight. Withrow next.